0: Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now. And planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy, and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. with law. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret, but you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby. Done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another incredible mailbag episode of Bad With Money. This week's Wednesday episode was all about points with the points guy and my partner Mal Blum. Today's episode we're gonna talk about why Kellogg's is getting sued and also what the Spanx founder did for her employees which is getting a lot of buzz. We're also going to hear from Alice all about her experiences with murder houses which we talked about in the last mailbag and we're also going to hear a Facebook comment from Daniel all about trying to buy a house. So, first of all, Kellogg's is getting sued. I found this article because one of my favorite products that they make is strawberry Pop-Tarts. I love the strawberry Pop-Tarts. And apparently Kellogg's is being sued in a class action lawsuit because the strawberry filling does not contain enough strawberry. So this is something that kind of happens a lot with companies where they'll be sued in these class action lawsuits about the ingredients of their products. And basically like the strawberry inside of the strawberry pop tart contains less than 2% of strawberries, which I think if you're eating it as a consumer of these, like you kind of know that (laughs) you know that going in and that it's probably largely like sugar and processed, you know, whatever, and and red 40 food dye. But basically, the lawsuit comes out of Illinois, and it cites the Illinois Consumer Fraud and Deceptive Business Practices Act, which, according to Newsweek, deems deceptive acts such as false pretense, false promise, misrepresentation, or concealment, suppression, or omission of any material fact unlawful. Obviously, <laughs> Kellogg's faces a lot of... S- silly lawsuits all the time, you know, labeling their stuff healthy when it's not healthy, etc., cetera, et cetera. I don't know what it is that they are putting in the strawberry Pop-Tarts, but again, they are my absolute favorite of the Pop-Tart flavors. And I don't know, I just, anytime I see this stuff about like lawsuits in terms of companies where you can kind of reasonably assume that the food in them is not the food that they're advertising, I have to wonder... What the point is, if they feel that they're going to win, if the idea is that Kellogg's will just give them a settlement, I really don't know. But it just caught my eye because I feel like there's so many of these stories and I've never been a part of a class action lawsuit. But if you have been part of a class action lawsuit, please write in and let me know why you did it and what happened. And if you ended up winning or if you ended up just getting paid out. Let me know. I'm very interested in the concept of class action lawsuits of the frivolous kind and of the serious kind. So please write in and let me know if you have experience with class action lawsuits. Maybe you're a lawyer who's done a bunch of them. Maybe you're a person who's been part of one or several. Let me know. Okay, so I wanted to talk about what happened with the founder of Spanx. So basically, Spanx is a company... They say that they make undergarments that get rid of panty lines. I have kind of always known them as a company that is for people who want to suck in their waist. It's kind of like a corset girdle type thing. I own Spanx and I have never used them to get rid of panty lines. I have used them for the less PC reason of wanting to suck in my gut and my butt and my waist. I know that it's not the sort of empowered feminist version of what Spanx wants to say that they dabble in, but that is what I use them for. That is what a lot of people use them for. The founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely, she gave each of her 500 workers, as a bonus, a first class plane ticket and $10,000 in spending money. I have seen this story literally everywhere, and let me tell you, it must have come out as like a press release or some kind of like story that was placed in multiple places because when I found the story on CBS News, when I found the story on NPR, all these different news outlets, they all had the exact same wording and the exact same story, which happens, you know, it obviously happens sometimes, but it does make me a little bit suspicious when that is the case because I went to school for journalism and as a former journalist, I know that oftentimes Press releases or stories that a PR person wants to get out there, get out there on these different news sites with the exact same wording. So that is a little suspicious to me. But also the founder, Sarah Blakely, posted about what she had done on her Instagram. Employees were crying and just really, really grateful. So it's interesting. One aspect of the story that stuck out to me that I have not seen a lot of places dig into is that this bonus was revealed at an October 20th party to announce that Blackstone was buying a majority stake in the company of Spanx. So now this gives the company a value of $1.2 billion, which is interesting to me because Blackstone, which is a investment group, they've kind of had a weird history with women. As of October 26, 2021, so this week, there was an article that came out in Bloomberg that was talking about how Blackstone feels that they have trouble recruiting women and that they obviously, like a lot of companies in finance, had to make really conscious decisions, they said starting in 2015, to analyze and realize why women weren't applying to work at Blackstone and why women were scared of working at Blackstone. A spokesman for the company kind of was talking about how they had to tweak their culture and how they had to, you know, make it so it wasn't such a male-dominated industry and women would feel more comfortable working there. This is not the only women-run company that Blackstone has invested in lately. I think in order to, like, shift the perception of them, they invested in Bumble, which was uh, founded by a woman, and also Reese Witherspoon's company, Hello Sunshine, which, full disclosure, I have done work for. It is interesting. I think this harkens back to our financial feminism episode where it's kind of like, who does this benefit? Also, I want to point out that Spanx and Bumble and Hello Sunshine are all founded by white women. So that's interesting. But yeah, I have seen a lot of very lovely publicity around this. And I think that it is probably setting a very good precedent in terms of how to treat your employees. But I just want to make a little A little note, a little note about Blackstone being where the money came from. Okay, sorry to be a downer, as always, but it eats at me and I just need to do a little bit more research and I just need to make a little bit of a a thought, you know, put a little bit of a thought in there. As always, you know, I think when you read this news, make sure that you understand where it's coming from and what the spin is and why. Okay, well. Congratulations to everyone who works at Spanx, I guess. So stick around after the break. We're going to read some five-star reviews from you guys. And then we're also going to read some emails from you guys. Now I'm going to read some emails from you guys. Alice wrote in a really interesting email about murder houses. Alice said... Hi, Gabby. I really understood where people were coming from when you said they wanted to buy a murder house to cleanse it of the bad energy. A couple of years ago in my hometown, a woman was brutally murdered in the parkland near my house. During the pandemic, my partner started taking my kids to these parks for daily walks and then told me one day that they'd built a super cool fort. Next time I went out with him, my stomach lurched as I realized they'd built it literally over the collection of tree trunks she'd been murdered at. My partner had no idea. He thought it had happened at a completely different location by another tennis court. I agonized over it for a while and came to the conclusion that while I and my partner didn't feel comfortable taking them there anymore, it ultimately felt nice to think that her spirit could enjoy some kids having fun in that space rather than it remaining a place of such sorrow. I don't usually believe in ghosts, but I think if they do exist, they would want to exist somewhere with joy and life, not heartache and mourning. That was really, really beautiful, Alice. That that really, like, moved me, and I think that a lot of people would agree with you because a lot of people wrote in to the mailbag last week talking about, um changing the vibes in a house where something violent or terrible had happened and buying it for that reason. Okay, more stuff about the housing crisis. Guys, buckle up. This is an email from Alex. Love the show and the mailbag episode is a great idea. Hey, thank you. We got one negative comment about it in the Apple reviews. So glad to hear from you, Alex, that you think the mailbag episodes are a good idea. A lot of you think they're a good idea, not just Alex. I heard the comments from the person who mentioned an inventory shortage and exclusionary zoning as the root causes of the housing crisis and felt the need to chime in. I don't intend to put words in the listener's mouth, but I would suggest taking those arguments with a grain of salt. Ooh, spicy. Ooh, we have listeners disagreeing here on this show. Alex says... It's not that they are explicitly wrong, exclusionary zoning is commonly used as a weapon by well-off NIMBYs to prevent undesirables from entering certain areas, and there is undeniably a lack of affordable housing options in most cities. The key, though, is understanding that the housing market, especially the rental housing market, is not one singular container that describes all prospective buyers and renters equally. Often, people who talk a lot about inventory shortages and exclusionary zoning gravitate towards one specific solution, allowing developers to build as much luxury rental housing as possible. They claim that the market will then naturally reduce prices at all levels, as the problem is supposedly a simple supply-demand equation. But this ignores that most American cities currently have a glut of luxury rentals and a vast shortage of affordable units. Oh, Alex, this is something that I really hadn't thought about either. Very interesting. This oversupply of high-end units does not trickle down into the mid- and low-income rental markets because they are in fact separate pools of customers. Even proponents of this strategy cite arguments that rely on luxury units becoming more affordable over the course of literally decades, which very clearly does not help most people currently struggling with housing costs. Quite simply, an oversupply of Ferraris does not lower the price of Toyotas. Wow. Okay. This is very, very interesting. The email is a little bit longer, but I just want to say that this is not something that I had considered, and this is a fascinating perspective, so thank you for writing this in, Alex. As usual with all of these money topics, there's so much more nuance to them than I could possibly get into each episode because I am not a politician who works on these things I am just a avid reader and researcher of the topics that we cover on the show so thank you so much for writing that in Alex I think that explains things really really well okay this email is from Rachel hi Gabby long time first time was just listening to your most recent mailbag episode ha people are listening to the mailbags I feel so vindicated. Okay. Was just listening to your most recent mailbag episode when I heard about the listener who is making the choice not to own property, and I'm one of those as well. Obviously, things could always change depending on circumstance, but I'm 34 and don't have the desire to own a home anytime in the near future. I agree with all the points that listener mentioned. That listener was named Casey. People always talk about how owning property is such a great investment, but it also requires a lot of sweat equity as well as regular old money. Boomers truly benefited from owning property that's value increased astronomically, but it's not exactly like that anymore. I also live in Los Angeles where housing is a huge mess. The amount of time, money, and effort that goes into owning a home may not make a huge impact in terms of profit in the long run. This is a great email to read for me, Gabby, as I sit in the home that I have just purchased in the woods. It's fine, I wanna live in the woods. Rachel writes, "'Also, I won't be having children, "'and a lot of people want to own property "'to pass on to their families after they die. Most importantly, I do like the option of not being responsible to repair things or take care when things go wrong, including landscaping, plumbing, electrical issues, roofing, etc. Someone else mentioned this. Our episode with Tori Dunlap about financial feminism, she also mentioned wanting to not be responsible for a property and wanting to be able to travel. Different people have different priorities, obviously, in terms of where they want their money to go. Rachel also talks about the flexibility of renting in the longer part of this email She also says, not to be a super downer, but I'm honestly wondering if humanity on Earth will make it another 10 to 20 years. Damn, Rachel! (laughs) Okay, well, thank you for this email, and thank you for giving Casey a little nudge, because they felt that they were the only person who felt this way. But clearly, Rachel feels this way, too. Also, wow, you guys really have... some bleak perspectives here on this show, though I shouldn't be surprised because this show has lent itself to some bleak topics in the past. Now I'm gonna read some five-star reviews from you guys. If you leave me five stars and you leave a review, I will read it on the show. It really helps me get up in the charts, which we are in, by the way. We made it into the charts, finally. We were in them for a while, then we left the charts. Now we're back, baby. Thanks to you guys. So here is a review from Katrina Newman. It says, listen, laugh, and learn. Love the perspective and the lessons I learned. Best podcast to go on a walk to. I love that. Ron.com gave me five stars and said, love it. I love this show. The podcast and book has helped me so much with learning how money works. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I also wanted to read a comment from the Bad With Money Facebook, which is tinyurl.com slash badwithmoneyfb. This is from Daniel Lee, who does leave a lot of comments. So thank you, Daniel. They said, I loved hearing your story about buying a place. It was definitely a similar experience as mine. A lot of rejection and a lot of invasive paperwork and questions. Unlike you, who was responsible and saved for a traditional down payment, I had zero saved in the bank. Okay, first of all, thank you, Daniel. But it was a long journey. I borrowed from my 401 and could only manage to put down 5%. The approval paperwork said no problem because I had good credit in the 700 range, and I was a strong earner. It totally surprised me since my wage as a public servant is the poverty level in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live. I also thought that the independent home appraisal person said the house was worth exactly for the same amount as my loan was. Seems suspicious, like what are the chances? Yes, this is what I was talking about in that episode. The fact that they look at income rather than what you have saved. It allows for a lot of people to buy homes they can't afford. So thank you for writing that in, Daniel. That's very, very helpful. I want to remind you that you can help me so much by sharing this show with three friends, writing an app review, and listening to the show The Day It Drops. Because when you listen The Day It Drops, instead of binging like I know you guys all do, I've seen the stats, and you guys love to listen to four or five episodes at a time, and I get it. But if you listen to the show The Day It Drops, it helps me get on the charts. So please, please, please do it that way instead. That's right. Change the way you live your life for me, Gabby Dunn. Do you have a burning question or you wanna pick my brain? Write to gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or better yet, record your question and send us a voice memo. Again, that's gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. I will put the links to the Discord and the Facebook and everything in the description of this episode. You can also call 844-474-4040 and leave a voicemail if you'd like. I know a lot of you have social anxiety, but come on guys, give me your voices. Okay, so tune in next week because we're going to have an episode all about the FIRE movement. That's right, financial independence, retire early. We're going to be talking to Tanya Hester and Michelle Jackson all about it. So come on by and listen to that on Wednesday. And check out the episode from this week if you missed it. It's with the Points Guy and with my partner Mal Blum all about points. Did you know the Points Guy is gay? I have gotten... Tons of DMs from you guys about how excited you are, because apparently nobody knew that. Weird. Okay, I love you all. Bye! Done.
1: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.